welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. I'm going to finish the sermon series this morning on Psalms chapter 91 uh, that pastor's been teaching on the last couple weeks. It's a good way to kick off the new year. So if you have your Bibles open this morning, you can, you can turn there. Uh, if not, I'm going to put the scriptures on the board also as well. But a piece of history that Pastor Sean didn't mention because it can't be unarguably proven is that the Jewish Midrash, which is an ancient Judaic text, actually accredits the author of Psalms chapter 91, the authorship to Moses. And he gets definitive credit on a couple other Psalms in the Old Testament. So while we can't prove it, it does actually kind of make sense and ring true. Uh, And historically, Jews accept the authorship of Moses to Psalm chapter 91. And it's, it's written that Moses actually penned this psalm after the completion of the tabernacle. And so I want to preach this morning on that perspective just a little bit. So while I can't certainly prove it, why don't you just pretend that we know that for a fact, uh, that this psalm is being written and professed out loud by a man who was well familiar with the presence of the Lord, but by a man who had just completed a great feat. This is the text of Scripture in Exodus that we're going to say would go along with this. And if uh, you had Exodus 40, 34 open, you would read it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And I actually have this picture hanging on the wall in New Beginnings, uh, minus the Scripture, but if the lights were down, you'd be able to see miles of tents lit up that go around that. Uh, and this is just one author's depiction of what it must have looked like as this traveling people walked through the desert, maybe upwards of five million people, and the Lord laid down the law, and then the Lord laid down the, uh, the building plan for this tabernacle or this traveling church, if you will. And this is what the Bible said, uh, one artist's depiction of what that might have looked like. And if you look really closely there, you can even see Moses and Aaron standing outside of the Holy of Holies. And so close your eyes for just a second and imagine you're there for the very first time. And the Bible, and it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Some translations say that the presence of the Lord so much filled the tabernacle that Moses couldn't even enter it. So it's like he tried to go in, couldn't go in. The room was packed. Couldn't fit in and nobody was in there. Just imagining the the pillar of fire come down and the glory cloud fill the tabernacle for the very first time. And for Moses, a man who had been through a whole lot with these people by now already, this must have been quite gratifying to see the presence of the Lord finally descend and anoint what he had been doing. In other words, it would have been like one of those little reminders, like when the Red Sea parted, like, hey, you are still there, God. Or when he, got the, when he got the Ten Commandments, you are still there, God. And when this happened, this was like a, it's almost like a heavenly attaboy. And it happened in front of the entire nation. You know, I really do like, uh, you know, I like to read this psalm pretending that I'm reading the emotions of a man witnessing this. The emotions and the thoughts of a man who 
was standing in front of this, penned this later after the service was over, and this is what he said. Uh, Pastor Sean did a fantastic job two weeks ago preaching on the, the names of God. And if you look into the, in the Scriptures, just quickly looking back, you know, verses 1 and 2 say, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High rests in the shadow of the Almighty, uh, and I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, and God of whom I, whom I trust. You know, I actually really do like how the passage starts, because if uh, He is your shelter, He's your Lord, He's your refuge, He's your fortress. If those things are true, uh, these all become, and these all became the sudden reality to Moses, then the emotions that we're going to read about today would be the natural following of that truth. All right? Are you with me? And so, you know, it's really important like, to, to understand and make God those things to you, because if you don't, you are a Christian who is simply weathering the storms of life by yourself with an improper understanding of who God is. And if you don't understand who He is, you cannot understand His love. And if you cannot appreciate His love, you will walk through life with this sort of struggling in your, against your sin, against your infirmities, and against the world in general that God did not intend for you to have. And that's what the second half of this passage uh, is talking about this morning. And you know, I can, uh, when you, Moses couldn't help himself but worship when this is what he saw. And when we really understand God as fortress, shelter, Lord, leader, protector, freer from the snare, when you really get that and focus on those attributes that Pastor Sean preached about a couple weeks ago, uh, you really just can't help yourself but worship him. Amen? Like what we did this morning, three songs, it's great, people in. But I can really, I get to speak in a lot of churches with my job, but I can unjudgmentally look around a lot of times and tell who really knows God and who doesn't. Because a proper understanding of who he is commands worship. You don't have any other choice. It's almost like you don't even really want to worship, but then when you think about who he is, it's the natural response. Amen? And so that's what you have here written in this psalm. And so we'll just leave that picture up there. But verses 1 to 8 make some really bold claims about the characteristics of, of, of God himself. Pastor Sean did a fantastic job preaching on those. And this morning, I want to read the second half of this, the closing half of this. And this is what the Bible says. I'll be starting in verse 9. It says, If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No, da- no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You'll tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Huh? Isn't that good? The first half of the chapter deals with whether or not the man or the woman of God uh, really has the proper understanding. And the second half deals with whether the man or woman or the reader of the Scripture deals with whether the reader of the Scripture has the fruit of the first half. So this passage of Scripture really is a, if you do this, then this will happen. And there's a few of those in the Bible, but these are the, it's a, if you understand this, then your life should look like this. And Christians, or preachers especially, tend to shy away 
from these texts of Scripture because it is convicting for a man or woman to take a look at his life and look at these Scriptures and be like, well, I don't have any of that in my life. What's the problem? Well, that's why it's in the Bible. Amen? That's actually why it's in the Bible. And so uh, if you really do understand God as these five attributes in the beginning, then you will see uh, protection of the tent. You, uh, you will see and you won't strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. And I want to, I want to take a few minutes this morning and, and explain these scriptures to you and kind of pull out a few of the promises of God's word. But the truth is, is every, uh, what you believe about God really is the most important thing about you. I'll say that one one more time because that's really important. What you believe about God is actually the most important thing about you as a person. Not your gifts, not your talents, not who you're married to, not what kind of car you drive. What you believe about God is. Because what happened, it, it actually, it defines everything else about you. You know, if you believe he's good, you're going to act one way. If you believe he doesn't exist entirely, if you're an atheist, you're going to act another way. You're going to be your own God. If you believe he's holy, this is what you're going to act like. And so actually, a proper understanding of God is essential in Christianity because it's the most defining thing about you. And if you uh, imagine, you know, who's the person that you know the best in your life? If it's, hopefully it's your spouse if you're married. If not, that's another sermon, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's your spouse if you're married. But you should know what your best friends and what your spouse thinks about God. You should actually know that because it's the most defining thing about them. And uh, Jesus has no problem with the theology that if you're following God, there should be fruit in your life, and it should look like this. I'll prove it. These are his words. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. In other words, Jesus, Jesus agrees with Moses or the writer of this psalm by saying, if you view God this way, we should be able to see it in your life. Amen? We should be able to tell if the claims that you make about God and the claims that you make about Christ are evident in your life. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, and it doesn't mean you have to have this abundance of evidence the day you accept Jesus Christ. But if you've been walking with the Lord for a while... I should be able to spend an hour with you in a room and be able to tell that. And that's convicting, isn't it? And so should anybody else. Let's look at these promises for just a second. Uh, if we're going to make the claim that the fruit in your life should show it. The first thing that the writer says here, he says, so, uh, you know, if you believe that he'll save you from the fowler's, the fowler's snare, if you believe that he's your fortress, if you believe that he's your refuge, if you believe all these things, Verse 9 says, if you have made the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then here's the first promise. Verse 10, then no harm or no disaster will come near your tent. Now, that's a really bold statement. That would be quite a thing for me to stand up here and say that if you believe God and knew Him perfectly, then nothing bad would happen into your life. And I wish I could, in fact, say that. Uh, and I do believe that there is some truth in that statement. Actually, I believe the statement's entirely true. We're going to redefine that word tent this morning. Uh, if you look in the Hebrew, the translation ohel is the word tent. And it's the same word that Isaiah and some of the other writers of the Old Testament use. And they parallel the word tent, gate, or highway with the human mind. And so for just a second, I want you to connect that dot with me that when Moses uses the word tent, 
Uh, we can actually plug in the word human mind, because while Ohel is a dwelling place for humans, Isaiah and Moses later wrote and used the same word as this, the dwelling place for the human spirit is in the mind. Does that make sense? And so we're going to say this morning that the tent that Moses is speaking of and making a very bold promise that if you understand who God really is, then no harm will come near your tent. Now, I actually do believe that there's a physical parallel truth in this scripture because uh, the Bible is full of promises and it's full of instruction on how not to have disaster in the physical world too, amen? You know, if you take a look at what the Bible says about relationships, you're not going to have a whole lot of disaster in relationships. If you take a look at what the Bible says about finances, marriage, love, sex, sin, doing business, I mean, all of the text or all of the context of Scripture is meant to improve the physical life of the hearer of the Word. Are you with me? So while we can't definitively say nothing bad is going to happen to you in a sin-filled world, I can definitively say that if you read the Bible, put its practices into use in your own life, you will be more successful than you used to be. Are you with me? That's a definitive statement. Well, let's come back to this word tent for just a second, because even more so than that, I think, uh, I think that the human mind is the tent or the shelter of the soul, and really doesn't it make perfect sense that that's why the enemy attacks us there first? Almost never do you get an attack in the physical that hasn't begun, to, hasn't begun in the mental first, hasn't begun upstairs. And it really does make sense that if everything that you actually do in your life, which is, this is true, is a manifestation of some thought you had, even if it's thinking about going to the bathroom or thinking about what you're going to have for lunch as I'm preaching this morning and you can't wait to go eat lunch. If, you know, if that's what you're thinking about, that later action will be a manifestation of something that you're thinking right now. True? So if the devil knows that everything, that every good or bad thing you eventually do starts in the mind, why would that not be the first point of attack as he tries to rip and tear down the person? And so Moses makes this, I'll say Moses, but we'll say the writer, makes this statement this morning. He says that if you really understand God as fortress, shelter, if you really understand him as provider, as of most high, as of a defense from the fowler's snare, then the real promise here is that no disaster will come to your tent. In other words, if you wanna, want real peace of mind, then make the Lord your shelter. If you want real joy, rest in his shadow. If you want to clear up any, some kind of identity crisis that you're having or wondering uh, you know, what your purpose is in life, then make the Lord your fortress. That's the simple answer to the complicated question. You know, in life, we're constantly distracted and stressed out by the news media, by, and I'm not going to go into all that, but, you know, you could actually turn off the news completely and you're still going to have some kind of chaos in your life, aren't you? If, if you don't, then you don't have kids. But um, <laughs> you're still going to have some kind of chaos in your life. Uh, but all of these things, both good and bad, that come against our heads, our anxiety, our stress, our worry, our fear of man, our fear of failure, our fear of not having a, a good future, our fear of living up to the expectations our parents put on us. All of those things are little things that are coming near your tent or your fortress, and whether or not they have an impact on your life depends on what you think about God. This is a silly little cartoon image, but I like this picture a lot because that big mean wall with the angry face is a representation of 
God being your fortress. And imagine yourself behind that wall. Actually, first of all, leave that picture right up there, but imagine yourself just bumbling through life with a misunderstanding of who God really is and what he wants to do in your life. And that would be you without that wall there at all. In other words, nothing to protect you from the elements, nothing to protect you from an attacker, nothing to protect you from stress, anxiety, depression, loneliness, nothing to protect you from any of that. And God says, listen, if you understand me, that wall just gets built in five minutes and then there's that hand. And when those things come out against you, he puts the angry face on and rebukes the enemy. The point is this, as things like are coming against your tent in life, uh, 2020 was probably, I mean, you can say what you want, it was a good year for me, but uh, some of us had good years, some of us had bad years, but nobody in here can deny that there was more things coming, trying to come into your tent in 2020 than any other year that I can ever remember in my life. It was just crazy what was trying to get behind that wall. And so you really did get to see the separation of who had the wall of the Lord up around their life and who didn't in 2020. And so as we, as we get into this thing, it's fun, kind of funny to me, the Psalms 91, you can imagine Moses, take your head back there for just a second, being the same way. Like he had, prior to building of the tabernacle, if you want to go read it in Exodus, he had the kind of year bumbling through the desert with 5 million homeless Jews that we just had in 2020. That was the kind of year he had. And so you can imagine this light bulb as the tabernacle gets built, and the presence of the Lord comes on it, and the pillar of fire comes down. It was almost like he understood the fortress and the protection of the Lord all in five minutes. And he was like, you're right, Lord. You've been there the whole time. This is like the kind of thing, I just think it's a good reminder to realize this. You know, like God has been offering you the kind of protection for your mind and your will and your emotions. Those are the three parts that make up the human soul. We talk about this a lot at New Beginnings. But the mind, the will, and the emotions. And that's really where the good things and the bad things begin to start in your life. And that's where you feel your stress, your anxiety, and it's where you ultimately decide inside the tent or the shelter of your head whether you will or won't let some of these things manifest into the physical. And uh, actually, God's been saying all along, hey, if you just want to understand me, I have the peace and the security. I have the tranquility that you can't even imagine. And so while society likes to offer these complicated ideas of how to get to peace, how to have this and have peace, how to understand this and have peace, how to get this job and have peace, I mean, the grass is always greener, isn't it? But that idea of the grass always greener on the other side is really just an idea that if my tent was different, if I had somebody else's tent, my life would be better. And all along... God has always been saying, listen, if you just understood me, I would slam these walls of defense right down around you, protect you, shield you, and give you peace in the middle of anything. Verses 11, 13, let's look at those very quickly. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you. That's another great promise. Does anybody ever think about that? Like, think about that for a second. So God is, first of all, offering you with the promise of, uh, the true promise of Understanding who he is, he's offering you serious defense around your mind, serious physical defense around your families, your children, your car, your job, and even the things in the physical. So he's offering you that, and if that's not good enough for you to bother to get to know him, he's also saying, oh, and by the way, he will command angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
Now, there's a few texts of Scripture that lead to that whole guardian angel idea, and I'm not going to get into an expository teaching on whether you do or don't have a guardian angel, but I think if everybody here was to be honest, they could raise their hand and say, there's been a time in my life where I can clearly see that an angel was looking out for me. Yeah? Like, I could clearly see that God had assigned protection to my life. The Bible says that He'll command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Then it says, they will lift up your hand so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You'll not tread upon the lion and the cobra. Or you will tread upon the lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. You know, these are some, some pretty bold claims as well. And, and as you consider that for a second, you know, we're obviously, the Bible is not saying here that you're going to get saved, understand God, and then go fight lions and snakes. That's not what the writer's saying here. He's saying this. He's saying you're going to have unexplainable victory over enemies that you once considered unbeatable. I'll say that again because it's really important. This text of Scripture is not saying that everybody who reads it's going to go out and fight literal lions and snakes. What he's saying is, is that when you properly and truly know God and understand God, what's going to happen is, is you're going to have unexplainable victories in your life over enemies you once considered undefeatable. Once considered undefeatable. In other words, there's things in your life where you thought, I'll never get over that. I'll never beat that. I'll never have that in my marriage. I'll never have that in my finances. I'll never get over this anxiety. I'll never get over this depression. I'll never get, they'll never, 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 never. What those are is excuses to let things in your tent that stay there, camp out, and keep a candle burning in the corner. That's what those are. And the Bible says that if you truly know God and truly love Him and know who He is and continue to bother to take the time to develop your understanding of Him, the more you understand about Him, the more your your thinking about Him will change. The more I know about Him, the more I'm like, I really didn't know anything. And the more I understand about Him, the more my thinking, my thought processes change. But I really get to this place that God wants you to get. And that's where you don't really have any undefeatable enemies in your life. Amen? There's really nothing that you can look in the mirror and say, I'll never get over that. So the writer is speaking here. He's, he's, talking, he's not talking about fighting lions and fighting snakes. He's saying, listen, bother with this, and the things you think you'll never get over, you'll get over. You'll begin to defeat these enemies. And you know what? Let me ask you a couple questions. Like, what if 2021 was the year you know, we've, we've preached a lot in this church about how we think this is a big year for the global church, for sure, um, as some things are changing in government. But this is also a big year for this church. We've made a decision to stay open. We've made a decision that we're going to meet and follow Jesus no matter what. Nothing's closing it again. We've made that decision, so I do think God's going to do some big things on that statement right there. Because he's just looking for people that want to come in line with what he's doing. It's really not any more complicated than that. But what if in that, you, made, you decided that 2021 was the year that you know, God strung me through 2020. 2021 is the year that I'm going to make him my fortress. It's the year that I'm really going to get to know him, not just know more about him. It's the year that I'm going to start to change my thinking into what he thinks about me. It's the year that the wall just gets slammed down. And so now when anxiety or depression or worry or a bad month in finances comes at me, I have God in that wall just doing this. And now I don't just believe it in the spiritual. I can see it in the physical. But what if it's the year that stress and depression 
and anxiety completely leave you? What, like, really? Like, have, you, have, have many of you ever actually allowed that possibility to enter your head that it could actually leave you, that the Bible might be true word for word, that there's actually a place you can get in God, not that you're not going to have any problems in your life, just that not they're going to come in and blow up your tent every time you have a problem. Are you with me? Still going to have problems. The question is, is are they burning down the tent every time? Or is the arrow start flying through the sky and the hand goes like this? Talk to the hand. You know, what if 2021 was the year that you became the type of person that when the lion or the serpent came at you, you know, instead of bungling up in fear, you actually trampled on its head? Like you actually did what the Bible says right here. And you crushed the head of the enemy you once couldn't imagine overcoming. It's a wild thought, isn't it? Like, it's really an absurd promise. I hope you'd... But you know what else was absurd? The glory, the pillar of fire coming down over the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filling the place in so much that Moses couldn't go in. That was absurd too. You know what else was absurd? Jesus actually walking out of the grave. That's absurd too. If you're really calling yourself a Christian, face the facts. You're believing some absurd stuff. Amen? Like really, the Bible says the gospel's foolishness to those of us who don't believe. But to those of us who do, it's the truth of life. <laughs> so, I mean, be okay with being called crazy. <laughs> but be okay with entertaining the idea that you can actually get victory over things in your life. I want to spend just a minute before we close this morning on this chapter. Chapter closes. Put uh, the scripture here. Read this with me. It says, uh, because he loves me, says the Lord, I'll rescue him. I'll protect him for he acknowledges my name. He'll call upon me and I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. And I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, this is a cool passage. This is a cool end to this scripture because not a lot of time in, in the Bible does the Lord give a reason for why he does things. You want to know why? Because he doesn't have to. He's God. But sometimes he bothers to give a reason why he'll act a certain way. And it's because he wants you and me, the reader, to really understand him in this way better. And this is the reason. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to explain the unexplainable of life right now. Here's the reasoning process of God. Because He loves me. Because He loves me, says the Lord. You know, just for a second again, I'll put that beginning slide back up there, Nate. And I want you to imagine Moses feeling the sense of security as the reality of God's protection was made new to him again. uh, As it surrounded him tangibly, even after everything he'd been through. I said, you know, he'd been alone, he'd been hated. They already hated him several times, even though he delivered him from from Egypt. But I want you to just imagine, uh, you know, as he laid down his destitution, his frustration, his persecution, his depression, as he laid all those things down now, and now he was able to overcome as he knew God. Um, The reason why God says it this plainly in the Scripture, because he loves me, I will defend him. Because he loves me, I will put the wall up. Because he loves me, I'll be his fortress. I'll be their fortress. The reason why he says it so plainly is because uh, that's how he made us to be. Did you know that? God actually wants you to understand how easy it is to come under his hand of protection. If this was supposed to be a complicated biblical theology, and they are out there, and they're a lot of fun, but God said, I'm going to take extra time. And there's actually this all over the Psalms, all over Exodus. This is actually all over Leviticus and all over the New Testament. 
It's a, parallel per, it's a parallel truth in Scripture that God has gone to great measures to get people to understand how much He loves us so that we in turn can love Him. Because there's a special level of protection and blessing available for a person who bothers to love God, not just learn about God. The real secret is know God and love Him. That's the real secret of Psalm 91. That's going to be the real secret to your new year. It's going to be the real secret to you understanding those five attributes the pastor preached about. Um, one of the, Probably the unquestionably brightest theological mind of the 20th century was A.W. Tozer, and he wrote a chapter in one of his books. I love to talk about him, and I love to read him, but he said this, when comparing all of the men to the Bible of the men to today, and even the great revivalists of our time, and he said this statement, he said, the greatest of these, the only thing that made these men any different than, some of, than anybody else in their day and today was that some loved God more than others. In other words, the greatest theologian that I've, of the 20th century, and that's the debate, said this, it's really actually simple to be great in God. Love Him more than, more than somebody else. Love Him more than you did yesterday. Bother to know Him and love Him rather than to just know about Him. So here's the thing about love. Our culture considers love to be a fleeting emotion, right? You know, why did you get a divorce? Well, we fell out of love. No, you didn't. Love is actually not a fleeting emotion. It's an understanding. It's a decision made through understanding. It's not always easy to love your wife, but because you understand the commitment you made at the altar before God, you understand that, you'll make a good decision, and you'll stay in love. Amen? Like, you'll stay in love. It, it's not always easy to, in faith, do this. Or it's not always easy sometimes to even submit to your boss at work. But love is actually a decision made through understanding. And so here's the thing when, as you know God more and more and more, is you get to love Him more and more and more because you understand Him more and more and more. And the Bible says that we'll, we'll actually spend the rest of eternity searching the mysteries of his knowledge and his love. It's in Revelations. Isn't that amazing? So it's like, well, someday I'll know everything there is to know about God and I'll really be able to love him. No, actually, that journey will never end. It's good news. It never gets boring. That journey actually will never end. That won't even end in eternity. But a question I have for you today as we close this out, you know, as we, you know, we looked at these second eight verses, as if you understand this, then you will get this. And the question that has to be asked to you of yourself is, do you really love him? You know, if that's, what, if that's what the Bible says, that the greatest of the kingdom are those that just simply love God more than other people did. And those are the ones God selected. It wasn't the brightest. It wasn't the most gifted. It wasn't the guy with the nicest car. It was the person that really loved God. And Moses could really tell that story because he sat there when he got called and gave God a list of excuses this long about how he wasn't going to be a good fit for this job. But at the end of the day, he loved God. And God said, because you love me, that's why this has happened. That's why this is on you. You know, Can other people look at your life and see the fruit that the Scriptures promise of the good tree? It's just a good self-reflection question. Are you bearing the fruit of Psalm 91? I mean, do you really feel defended? Do you feel like your mind is defended by the truth of Scripture and by God Almighty? And do you feel like you got some stuff you got to argue that needs to be hashed out? You know, if the world's about to change as much as we think it might, 
you know, in the next 50 years or 10 or however long you conspiracy theorists believe we're going to be here. But if the world's about to change as much as you think it might, as, we're, as we think it might, there really is no place I'd rather be than in the center of God's fortress. Like, there's no place I'd rather be than deeply in love with Him in the middle of the castle. Because there's this point, and look here in the end of the Scripture, it says, uh, he'll call, it says, because He loves me, I'll rescue Him, and I'll protect Him, and acknowledge my name, and He'll call upon me, and I'll answer Him, and I'll be with Him in trouble. You know, it really doesn't say that there will be no trouble. It says that He'll be with us in trouble. So there isn't this promise of a Christian life with no problems. There's this promise of a Christian life where you can mentally defend yourself and say, devil, you are not about to start, seed something in me that's going to manifest in the physical in my own self-destruction. It's not going to happen. That's what the promise says. He doesn't want to just protect you. Check out the end of the verse. It says, uh, with long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, God is very interested in being your fortress. He's very interested in being your protector. He's very interested in seeing fruit produce in your life. I showed you that Jesus made sure to reiterate that several times in the New Testament, that this isn't just some kind of agreement we get into with God, but we can act how we want after we get saved and good things are just going to happen. God's very interested in the production of good fruit in your life, but the beauty of the thing at the end is it says, actually, he's really interested in being in love with you and satisfying your desires as well. So he doesn't just want to protect you, he wants to satisfy you. I'll close in prayer this morning, but if your tent has been under attack, I want you to just think about Psalm 91. Now, if you have, maybe you've been staying in a tent and God's called you to stay in a castle. Maybe he's wanted for a long time to put the fortress up around your mind and protect you so that you can have the dreams, you know, that you can seed some good things in your life and bring them to fruition. Maybe God for a long time, and, and, and the truth, it is the truth, has been trying to break you out of this thing mentally that you've been in and that the world's been trying to put on you. Don't kid yourself. COVID is an attack of the devil on the church to get us to stop meeting, to get our kids out of school, to get, all, to get our society mixed up. That's really what it is. I mean, it's a real disease, but it came from hell. It's a real problem, but it came from hell to attack the human mind. And people are mixed up about it. But if you, want to, if you want to start 2021, I guess we're already a month into it, and just fend off those attacks on your tent. You know, if you've been dealing with anxiety or depression or worry about your future, worry about loved ones, the Bible says there's not a complicated formula, formula to get rid of that. There's a simple one. Bow your head in prayer this morning. Repent of any sin in your life and tell God you really love Him and mean it and actually mean it. And don't make your Christianity about this long list of ways you have to start behaving, about this long list of things you have to start doing to get the, to get the sin out of your life so things will get better. Make your Christianity about just bowing your head and saying, Lord, I'm not perfect, and I don't even understand what it looks like to love you, but I want to be in love with you. And the beauty of it is that's just a personal thing between you and him. You don't even have to raise your hand or come to the altar this morning to do it. When we pray this morning, you can simply say, God, you already know this because you're God, but my tent has been under attack for a long time. I feel like there's some lions and some serpents that I have not been able to trample, that your word says I should, 
And I want to start this year, I want to start this week by, by literally just simply telling you I love you and I'm going to trust in faith that these results will follow. Isn't that good? God put the cookies on the lowest shelf so everybody could reach them. Literally, the lowest shelf. Because there's nobody on, the, on this planet that, can, that, it, that it's too complicated of a principle to tell God you love them and that you want to get to know them better. And that's the beauty of God. If you just take that step of faith and say, I don't even know really much about you, God, but it seems like you're worth getting to know. If you just take that step of faith, if you just profess that in a prayer, trust me, he will do the rest. Is there any people that have walked with the Lord for a long time can raise their hands and say, if, you're, if you seek truth, you will find it. But that's another biblical promise. So I'm going to, I don't know, we'll just, this is how a good way to close this morning. I think if you would all bow your heads um, and just do that. Find, find where you're at in this Psalms 91 thing. Uh, allow the Lord to just give you a vision for your life. Allow God you know, literally just quietly spend a minute with Him. Just quietly spend a minute with God. If you've never told Him you loved Him before, try it. Because the Bible says He does all this because He loves me. Uh, but in that, allow God to just, to just freely have reign of your thoughts for one second. In other words, get your brain out of the way. Just get alone in a quiet spot with Him for a second. Get all these complicated predispositions out of your head about who pastors and people and government, your parents, get, get that out of there about who they think and say you should be. And just simply say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of it. You're so complicated and amazing and big and in control, but uh, the same way you showed up for Moses, you desire to show up for us. And thank you for the simplicity of that. Thank you, God, for the miracles that have been plainly seen in this body this morning. Babies dedicated, people set free, people together in fellowship with real friends. And I just pray that you would, you would be our fortress, God, and that uh, you would defend us. It's really not a scary thing to have to take on a few attacks if, if the wall is that big, you know, if your wall of protection is that big. It's, it's really not a scary thing to walk out the doors of a church and look at the world when you completely understand that you, Lord, are our refuge. You're our strength. You're our fortress. And you're all of that for us just because we love you. And we love you. We're only even capable of loving you because you loved us first. So thank you for that. So as you convict people this morning, Lord, as the Holy Spirit just changes hearts and everything just gets so much simpler when we just imagine ourselves sitting next to you, Lord, and saying we love you. So we thank you for, thank you for where we're at and we thank you for who you are. And I personally just pray over this entire congregation right now that for those that don't know Christ, they'll come to you, Lord, and that they'll begin to, to seek you because that's as easy as it is. Seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. So I pray that if anybody here this morning doesn't know you, Lord, that their interests will be perked. And for those people that have known you a lifetime or half a lifetime already, Lord, it's never a bad thing to just look to the heavens quietly and say, God, I love you. And in that, we trust, God, that you'll defend us, that you'll trust. We trust, Lord, that you'll defend this church. You'll defend our friendships with each other and the outside world, Lord. You'll defend our jobs as COVID has made an attack on those. Lord, we trust that you'll defend our marriages, that 
You'll defend our children. And most importantly, Lord, you'll defend our peace of mind. And that through any storm, God, we can have happiness. We can have joy. We can have friendship. We can have peace. And we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.